0: This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical
1: Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. And I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, New York Times bestseller and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, The recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them, and not the recommendations of THORN. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration.
0: Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the THORN podcast.
1: How are things going for you today, Frank? Frank? Things are good. You know, life is sort of coming back to sort of normal. I'm finding more and more people vaccinated, more and more people feeling more comfortable getting out and being around. Yeah, New York City is sort of coming back somewhat.
0: Yeah, it feels like things are lightening up a little bit, slowly. I mean, we're we're certainly not out of the woods yet, as the saying goes, but it does seem like things are turning around. Yeah. Some of our listeners want to know us a little bit better. So kind of an opening question is, how did you get into medicine, Frank?
1: I got into medicine because my family was into medicine. My older brother went to medical. He's five years older than me. He became a doctor. And in South Africa in those days, I don't want to say I was a smart kid, but all the smart kids went into medicine. <laughs> so I never even thought, I didn't really even think about wanting to be a doctor or... You know, it was just what I thought I was going to do. And so I went to medical school and I actually got kicked out of medical school. No. I was doing too many drugs and I failed the first two
0: years.
1: (laughs) But then I happened to get back in because one of the heads of the medical schools was a friend of my father. So they, they let me back in, luckily. And then I only started really getting interested in medicine when I was at medical school later on during medicine. So. It's a very interesting story or not a good one for the grandchildren.
0: <laughs> well, they, they actually had a pretty good system in South Africa.
1: Yeah. Our medical For a long yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, Our medical schools were excellent in those days. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: You, yeah. Were, you were well known for Christian Bernard and the heart transplant.
1: Yeah. No, our training was excellent. It was the British system. It was six years of medical training. The system was different in South Africa than it is here. We didn't have to do a BA or any other degree first. You went straight in. You did six years of medical school.
0: And look, here you are now. Right. Years later, and you're still doing it.
1: And not doing drugs anymore. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was a different time and different era. So let's let's dive right into our main topic this week, which is mitochondrial health, which might seem kind of esoteric to most people. Why would anyone care about their mitochondria?
1: Well, I have an interesting take on mitochondria because I, as opposed to you, went through medical school being brainwashed by traditional medicine, and I came from a medical family, so I was all into Western medicine in the beginning. When I started studying Chinese medicine, that's in the mid-'80s, and you start learning about qi and energy and a whole different way of thinking about medicine. It took me many years to try to understand what is qi from a Western perspective, what is this energy that Chinese medicine is talking about. And it took me a while to sort of, you know, because I was always trying to understand the Chinese explanation and put it together from a Western perspective. And it took me a while to realize that Qi is probably, from a Western perspective, what the mitochondria are doing. It's mitochondrial health, in a way. And the Chinese concept of Qi is probably what we're talking about now in Western medicine and physiology about the mitochondria and what the mitochondria do. You know, the mitochondria are these energy powerhouses in in our cells, and now I've come to believe that the Western equivalent of qi or energy is actually mitochondrial function. What do you think about that, Bob? Oh, that's a, it's a fascinating idea. I mean, the
0: whole idea from evolutionary biology is that we couldn't have ever evolved into multicellular life without mitochondria, because a single cell wouldn't have been able to make enough energy to really sustain a multi organ system. If you think about what is required to maintain a human being, you know, keeping your brain functioning, your heart functioning, your liver functioning, that takes a huge amount of, of energy, of the chi you're talking about. And, uh, you know, if we were just a clump of bacteria without the mitochondria, we never would have been able to do that. So, it, what you're saying kind of makes sense as an evolutionary perspective as well.
1: Right. So, I, you know, once I started thinking about it that way, I started thinking about the mitochondria as really key to our health. And how do we keep our mitochondria functioning well? How do we keep their numbers up? Because we know as we get older, and this happens with the understanding in Chinese medicine, your chi decreases. And, and we know as we get older, from a Western perspective, the number and the functioning of your mitochondria decreases. So how do you stay young and vital or how do you age gracefully is one important way would be to keep your mitochondria healthy.
0: Well, here's something most people don't realize is that our mitochondria undergo a process of renewal. So, so what are they? What are they basically? They're, they're remnants of bacteria. Right. And the whole idea about out of evolution is that, two different types of bacteria merged and the one type of bacteria that was able to use oxygen to make energy basically got consumed by another larger bacteria that was more like an amoeba. So it ate the smaller bacteria that could use oxygen. But the idea that a lot of people have is then you you start out life with a certain number of these mitochondria in each one of your cells and then that's it. And what we now know is that the mitochondria in our cells, which number anywhere from a couple of hundred to thousands, is that they're constantly merging together. They're forming blobs, and then they're breaking up. And the body is cleaning up the debris that occurs as a result of that. So this, it's what's called fission and fusion. So the mitochondria fuse, they come together, they form a blob. And why do they do that? It's part of their quality control. So it's interesting. It's fitting in with your ideas, like we renew our chi. You know, we have this ability to make more mitochondria depending on our lifestyle, our amount of exercise that we do, and the kind of food that we eat, et cetera. Right. So I'm I'm wondering, like, what practices? What do you recommend to your clients to help them renew their chi or renew their mitochondria?
1: Well it's interesting. So a lot of the practices are the same practices that I recommend for longevity in general, high intensity interval training, sleeping well, fasting, intermittent fasting or fasting in general, not eating as much. What else do I recommend? Uh, Temperature extremes you know, like going from a sauna into a cold plunge, or even just having a half a minute of a cold shower after a hot shower all of these hormetic mechanisms stimulate mitochondrial function yeah and probably and this is a question for you do they also increase the mitochondria you think or just it's about improving mitochondrial function
0: no the, the data shows that you actually make more mitochondria this mitochondrial biogenesis is what it's called or mitobiogenesis is when you engage in these hormetic activities, like you said, a cold plunge or intense exercise or even short periods of time where the oxygen levels drop, You know, which is maybe right. what would happen if you're engaging in high intensity interval training is that that sends a signal to the cell that says, we're not making enough ATP. We're not making enough energy. We're not making enough chi. And so there's a whole cellular mechanism that gets kicked in that turns on all these enzymes in the cell that turns on DNA. And as a result of that, there's a signal to actually manufacture more mitochondria. So the ones that are there will actually split and form new versions of themselves, similarly to how bacteria
1: split apart. Interesting. So it's it's the idea that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. A little bit of stress is good for you.
0: Yeah, Nietzsche was right. You know, it's interesting because there are a lot of things that have the opposite effect that basically kill off your mitochondria. And it's stuff that you would expect, like eating junk food, eating sugar in particular.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of lifestyle changes we recommend or the bad habits we try to get people out of, often the biochemical process that it's affecting is the mitochondria or it's affecting the mitochondria either positively or negatively. We just don't think of it that way. So we're telling people to stop eating junk food, to exercise, to sleep well, deal with their stress, uh, fast, whatever it is. And one of the underlying mechanisms that it's affecting is the mitochondria, although it's not really spoken about as such.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's certainly in the functional medicine right. literature, and it's in the mainstream medical journals, if you dive into it, I would say the way that I kind of got into this is uh, I was giving a seminar on supporting brain health. And I really started diving into what causes Parkinson's disease. And it became immediately obvious that Parkinson's disease is a mitochondrial disorder. And And I think the brain neurology journals will all agree with me on that that there's a problem with this renewal of mitochondria. So instead of the mitochondria getting cleaned out, they get increasingly damaged, and then you get this accumulation of bad mitochondria in the brain cells, which causes inflammation, which basically kills the brain cells. So I was kind of blown away to think, oh, here's this mechanism that has universal applicability. I mean, not just to Parkinson's disease, but turns out to Alzheimer's disease. Yep, and then when you look at other organs, well, the same thing is going on with congestive heart failure. The mitochondria go bad, right? Or liver disease. If the mitochondria are not cleaning themselves out and renewing, then that's why you get cirrhosis of the liver and dysfunction of the liver. So again, this just keeps coming back to that notion of the chi is like if your liver chi, yeah. you know, is is declining, you can look at it under a microscope and say, well, this is what the ancient Chinese were talking about thousands of years ago, even though they didn't even know what mitochondria were.
1: Exactly. And also I think side effects of certain medications. I mean, I've seen this often when people have come to me with long-term effects of, you know, they'd been on drugs and they have these side effects. You know, one of the things that I do going forward with them is actually support mitochondrial functions. And very often I've found that has been helpful. So. There's probably an effect on the mitochondria by many of the medications that we don't even talk about. You know, we just say, well, they have these side effects. And probably one of the mechanisms is a decrease or damage to the mitochondria.
0: I think one of the primary ways they do that is they increase the number of free radicals in the body in general. But mitochondria, uh, because they're using oxygen... That means that they're burning hot, right? So I I think of it as like the coal box in a locomotive. You know, you keep putting the coal or the wood in there, and it burns hot. And the faster it goes, the the faster the locomotive goes, the hotter it is, and the more risk you are burning the surrounding components. And the same thing's true with the mitochondria. Is like the hotter it's burning, and that could be the hotter could mean the more it's having to process certain chemicals like drugs, the more free radicals it's making. So if it's making a lot of free radicals, the free radicals damage the mitochondria and damage the cells. So free, anything that causes free radical stress, which is that also includes overeating, by the way. right? Just eating too much exactly generates more free radicals. And the, the paradox of people who are really overweight is that they can eat a lot but have such low energy right? They're tired all the time. They don't feel like exercising. But you think, well, where are all those calories going?
1: Right. I, I think that, that concept of how much we eat is something also we don't talk enough about. And that's why I'm such a big fan of, especially as we get older, just eating less.
0: Absolutely. And that fits in with longevity. And as you know, one of the theories of yep. healthy aging is that the healthier your mitochondria, the longer you will live. So it you know, these, these all completely overlap with each other.
1: So I'm becoming more and more of a fan of alpha lipoic acid. I just think it's one of those nutrients that works upstream and, and has So many effects downstream, and one of them is obviously affecting the mitochondria. I use alpha lipoic quite a bit, alpha lipoic acid quite a bit. In what
0: doses? Use high doses?
1: Yeah, I mean, I use at least 600 milligrams a day. At least, I mean, I personally take 900 milligrams a day, but I think 600 milligrams, you know, for some people, especially people who've had you know, these long-term side effects from drugs. You know, I'm, I'm using 12, 1,800 milligrams a day. I'm using larger doses of, of alpha-lipoic acid. I use curcumin. I use NMR. I use... You mean NR? Yeah, sorry, NR. Yeah, sorry.
0: nicotinamide riboside.
1: Yeah, sorry. I have a question for you. So those are the, the big ones that I use. I, I used to use PQQ, but I'm not sure if that does anything. What's your take on PQQ? Well, I've been
0: curious about it. Um, so it's, you know, supposedly a better form of coenzyme Q10. Right. A
1: co- sorry, coenzyme Q10, obviously, that I use. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So I use a lot of CoQ10 in my practice. Me too. Yeah. CoQ10 is really central to the biochemistry of the mitochondria. So that's how it's thought to work. We know that when people take statins, yeah. it depletes the body of CoQ10. And one of the side effects of statins is muscle cramps. Right. And so, one of the theories about what's going on with those muscle cramps is that you deplete the muscles of CoQ10. So, they get deprived of energy, they're starved of energy, and that's why you have that pain. It's a theory. We don't know for sure that's what's going on, but it's pretty clear to me when you measure CoQ10 levels in people on statins, they drop. Yeah. And so, you know, everybody on a statin should get CoQ10 to support their mitochondria. Now, there's these other versions or variants on CoQ10, like PQQ, and then I think another one's called MitoQ. It's not been clear to me that either one of those are better than just plain old CoQ10. Right, you know? yeah. So I don't really use those in my practice. I mean, I get I get curious about them. You certainly see these big flashy ads yeah. that say PQQ is better, proven better, blah, blah, blah. But I think most of the research is on CoQ10.
1: I took PQQ for a while and I gave it out for a while, but I didn't see anything, you know, no major changes. Whereas with CoQ10, you definitely, people will come back. They feel and, it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they feel it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned nicotinamide riboside. Do you want to talk a bit about the chemistry of what that does or do you want me to go No, you, that? you can.
1: That's your, your Your <laughs>
0: thing. <theory. laughs>
1: Because that's a very interesting one, nicotinamide riboside. I think that we should talk about. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. So the theory behind it is that one of the core molecules involved in mitochondrial function is called NAD, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And it's, it's one of those things you study in medical school and then hope you never hear about it again. And the main thing you study about it is that a deficiency of NAD causes pellagra, which is caused by not having enough niacin in the diet, right? So this basic. B vitamin, turns out, is really critical for mitochondrial function. Now, you don't see pellagra so much anymore, but then studies showed that when we age, our NAD levels drop, right? So it's almost like we're getting the subclinical pellagra over time, very, very subtle form of it. And why is that so important? Because NAD is like the quarterback for electrons, if electrons are the football in the mitochondria, NAD is one of the carriers, prime carriers of it. So if you don't have enough NAD, then your mitochondria don't work. And NAD is also involved in DNA repair. So you need NAD for both these things, but it plummets as we age. And so the race is on to find nutrients that will help restore NAD. You could use niacin to do that, but niacin has got side effects, right? It makes people itch and can cause liver inflammation, et cetera. So then they discovered this molecule called NR, nicotinamide riboside, discovered that a number of years ago, did animal studies, and found out that NR actually raises NAD in the cell. Now, to to really get NAD to work right, then you need uh, molecules called sirtuins. And the way to get that to work is to use resveratrol. So resveratrol, interestingly enough by itself, doesn't seem to be that effective, but when you combine resveratrol with nicotinamide riboside, then that really seems to be the key.
1: The, the two are synergistic. Right, so thank you for developing that product because I take that every day. There is Veracel from Thorn. So I assume you developed that. Now, uh, <laughs> now why, why do you think just taking NAD, which is what we used to use in the old days, yep. doesn't really work?
0: Yeah, it's a big molecule. I used to use a product in my practice that was for Parkinson's disease, right? That was initially what it was promoted for. I used it and they had some preliminary research. It was like 30 years old and then nothing ever came of that, right? I kept saying, well, if this is so great, aren't they going to do more studies on it? I'm really suspicious about how well NAD as a big molecule is absorbed. Is it even getting intact into your body? Whereas with nicotinamide riboside, they know that they're transporters that get it into your cell, right? That's one of the main differences. Is that that old NA, intact NAD molecule? We just don't really know that it's having much of an impact. So I don't, I don't use it anymore. I just use nicotinamide riboside.
1: Me too. I used to use NAD in the old days, but didn't see much the results. I didn't see many changes. So yes, I uh, too use nicotinamide, riboside, and resvericel. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. So I think the whole idea is that you can
0: support your mitochondria with nutrients. That obviously works so much better if you're not overeating and then engaging in these other hormetic activities. I can't say that I'm one to go out and jump in a vat of ice cold water. But you know there are clinics that are opening up with these cryo tanks.
1: Yeah, they're huge. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, there there's one opening up just a few blocks from my house. Uh, they're great. So you've been in one, right? Yeah. You, yeah. yeah. You get I, in-
1: I love going from my sauna into a cold plunge. Yes. I mean you just jump in. I mean it's just so invigorating.
0: Invigorating, yeah. Okay, well now we gotta take a short break and when we get back we'll take some questions from the community.
1: Want to stay up to date on the latest nutritional and wellness news? Then head over to Thorn.com and visit Take 5 Daily to sign up to have free wellness content delivered directly to your inbox. You'll get access to news, videos, and other expert insights covering everything from immune health, diet, and lifestyle advice, and the latest wellness research in an easy-to-digest format. Visit Thorn.com to learn more. That's T-H-O-R-N-E dot com.
0: And we're back. So now it's time to answer some great questions from our community. Our first question this week comes from a listener who asked, do athletes have more mitochondria or better
1: mitochondria? What are your thoughts on that, Frank? Yeah, I would probably say they have more and better, but that's because they've worked on them. They're probably not necessarily born with them, but if you're training and exercising, you're going to increase your mitochondria. If you're sleeping well, you're going to increase your mitochondria. So it's not just athletes that are going to have them, but if your mitochondria are functioning better and you have more, you'll be more athletic too. You know, it's all the things we talk about. It's all the lifestyle changes we talk about for longevity and, and wellness in general are going to increase your mitochondria. So once again, it gets back to my basic philosophy on mitochondria. You want more chi? Yeah, ath- athletes will have more chi, but they work on it. That's the way I see it.
0: Yeah, and I think that what the research shows is that it's not only would a person who's well-trained you know, have more mitochondria in their muscles and in their, in their heart, et cetera. But there's actually adaptations in the DNA, and we're talking about mitochondrial DNA and the DNA in the nucleus of the cell, because there's communication between the cell DNA and the mitochondrial DNA, which are separate, but they talk to each other more. So the DNA actually adapts, and the enzyme systems change as a result of that, so the mitochondria get more efficient. And what I mean by efficiency is that you have a flexibility in your ability to use fuels. So the mitochondria just get better and better at extracting energy from food.
1: Right, so it's training.
0: It's, that's what training does.
1: Yeah, so athletes train and exactly. So you train your body to do that. So here's an interesting question or something we should talk about. Please explain the mito diet and is it any good? And, and that would go with, Another question is what foods, vitamins, we talked about vitamins, but what foods increase mitochondria or affect your mitochondria? So I think
0: what this person is referring to by the mito diet is basically a variation on the ketogenic diet. I think there's pretty good research that ketogenic diets can be good for certain people in certain situations. I think that's what they mean by the mito diet. I mean, the Institute for Functional Medicine has a kind of Mito diet plan that they put out that's basically low carb kind of bordering on ketogenic. So, you know, there's not one Mito diet, in other words. But the whole idea is that excessive amounts of carbs raise blood sugar. And when you raise blood sugar, it increases free radicals and the free radicals damage your mitochondria. So the idea is we're trying to get your mitochondria to be more efficient. And you do that by restricting calories and by decreasing spikes in blood sugar. So I'd say, yes, it's good in two different ways. It's, it's good because you're decreasing the mitochondrial damage you get from the excessive carbs that most people eat. And then for people that are like long-distance athletes, you know, ultra runners that run more than a marathon – those people seem to do really well on ketogenic diets because then you don't rely on your carbohydrate stores for energy. On a ketogenic diet, your mitochondria adapt to burning fat for energy. And, you know, that's a good thing for somebody who's really going to need that long-term energy source. It's not such a great thing for, say, a weightlifter who needs short bursts of energy. They're better off burning carbs for fuel. But people who who do long-distance running It's good. The mito diet is also good for people in the early stages of type 2 diabetes that are not insulin dependent. Oh, well, maybe even people are insulin dependent. As long as they've got some pancreatic function, there's some pretty good research that you can reverse type 2 diabetes by putting people on a ketogenic diet.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I see that clinically a lot, actually. Type 2 diabetes being reversed just with diet alone, I'll use some berberine and some other supplements and optimize function in general. But as a general rule, I would say secondary diabetes is a reversible disease, mainly with diet.
0: Yep, yep. And so it's, it's really the Mito diet or something like that, yep. which is, you know, at minimum, very restricted carbs and at maximum, a scenario where you're actually adding the fat. That's what makes it ketogenic is where you're pushing the extra fat, which again, is good for long-distance athletes. It's good for people with neurologic disorders, migraine headaches, seizures, things like that. So there's certain scenarios where I think that mito diet uh, is really quite good. And as far as foods and vitamins that increase the mitochondria, you know, we talked about CoQ10, alpha-lipoic acid. I use acetyl L-carnitine, nicotinamide riboside, And then in general, anything that's got a lot of antioxidants in it, you know, the colorful foods like berries and winter squashes and things like that. Those are all really supportive of mitochondria. So great nutrients. Resveratrol, I think, is great when combined with nicotinamide riboside and quercetin. Actually, there's a study on quercetin in athletes where they, they gave them quercetin and then had them get on a treadmill and crank it up. And it actually increased their number of mitochondria. So quercetin is one of my favorites for mitochondrial biogenesis.
1: Yeah, quercetin's one of my favorites now. I'm starting to recommend quercetin for almost everything. It's everything,
0: one of, for everything. It's
1: actually one of those supplements also, which I got from you, Bob, is some of these nutrients that have so many downstream effects, you know, they work on so many different aspects of our physiology, whether it's quercetin, alpha lipoic acid, and even curcumin.
0: Yep, yep, curcumin as well is
1: really good. And it's great to take supplements that have multiple effects on the body.
0: Well, that's a really good question. What organs are affected by mitochondrial products?
1: Well, I would say all organs, because your mind, you know every organ has mitochondria. So if you don't have enough mitochondria, or they're not functioning well, it theoretically can affect any organ. But mostly, I mean, the ones we're going to really feel it with would be probably the brain, muscles, heart. And liver, I'd say liver too. And liver too, right. But I'd go as far as to say it's got to affect every organ, but those would be you know, the brain, the liver, the heart, muscles would be the ones you're gonna sort of be aware of it, mostly. How do you repair damaged mitochondria and how do the small parts of the cells get fixed?
0: Well, it's a, that's a great question. We know that our cells have, have built-in quality control. I, I mentioned this earlier, QC, right? And part of it is that we have the ability to clean up garbage. We've actually got little garbage disposal crews inside of our cells. So every, every part of our cell is prone to building up debris, which can be really toxic. And we have this idea that we're very good at making all these proteins that you know, act as enzymes and other functions in the cell. And so we have this idea, there's a little factory in the cell and it's making all these great proteins, but actually we make a lot of junk. And in the course of a day, our mitochondria make all kinds of debris. So the debris is really what causes the damage. And it turns out there's entire enzyme systems that are involved in cleaning that up. And it's called autophagy. I'm sure you know that word, Frank, but you know, autophagy just means eating self. When you fast, you activate autophagy. And even just going overnight, we activate autophagy. So there's a built-in repair mechanism in the body that cleans up debris and then actually generates new tissue, regenerates tissue. And that's happening with our mitochondria all the time. You can see it happening
1: under a microscope. And this is why, especially as we get older, it becomes more beneficial to fast, to stimulate your autophagy Process because as we get older, that autophagy, that mechanism decreases. So if you want to keep optimizing it or keep it functioning well, it becomes more important as you get older, and that that's why stimulating autophagy is one of those processes that help you age well.
0: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Does Does every cell in the body have mitochondria, Frank?
1: Yes, they have thousands and thousands of mitochondria, not just. You know, we don't know exactly how many, but they sure have a lot of mitochondria, right?
0: Yep. I think the range is somewhere anywhere from like 200 to 10,000. Yeah. And there's more in high energy cells. Like if you think about your heart is pumping all day long, it needs a lot of mitochondria. Your brain is thinking even when you're sleeping. So the brain needs a lot of mitochondria. The liver needs a lot of mitochondria to detoxify. All the crap that we eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Frank, there are a lot of acronyms that start with N when you talk about cellular health. What do you understand that the difference between the NADH versus NAD versus NR versus NMN? What's the difference in all right.
1: these things? Right. Well, we sort of mentioned NAD and NADH is similar to me, which is what we used to use in the old days to stimulate mitochondria to give people energy and weren't really that helpful then nicotinamide riboside came on the market years ago and that seemed to be very helpful and it's what I take what I recommend and then a guy David Sinclair who's become sort of this expert on aging wrote a book on aging I mean he's I don't know he's somewhere he at Harvard or he's at one of he's at Harvard yeah Uh, those universities, and he talks about this NMN, which is very similar to NR, and it's the only place I've really seen NMN promoted, but I know he's got stuck, or he developed it himself. I'll ask you what you think, but I don't, NMN and NR are very similar. He's just promoting it probably because it's his product, I'm guessing. It's much, much more expensive and less available So I don't use it at all because I don't see any difference. And NR is much more accessible and much cheaper. And it's not just being promoted by someone who sort of owns or has stock in that particular company. That's my take, whether it's right or wrong. And I'm I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, the main difference I would see is that that nicotinamide riboside has been subjected to a lot more study. I mean, the, the supplement itself. I think there's more animal studies and human studies on it, and Nmn. I don't know. I uh, haven't, haven't seen that many studies on it. Uh, you know, I think they're they're very similar, and there's overlap. But I, uh, again, Nmn is much less uh, less researched. So, uh, so there are a lot of unknowns about that.
1: Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I don't know. David Sinclair he seems a nice guy, and is obviously a very smart guy. I just got a little bit hesitant in just the way it, 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 you know he promoted it he has stock in it that's all I mean he, he seems a good guy and a smart guy but that's just my opinion well you're entitled to that <laughs> thank you thank you thank you okay so the last question for you Bob will be can too much nicotinamide riboside overload your cells
0: well I don't know of any data that, that indicates that I mean you know, we have to look at the impact on overall metabolism. And the one thing we know about niacin and nicotinamide riboside, you know, which are all going down the same pathway, is that they deplete the body of what's called methyl groups, right? So we know that there's better data on niacin in this regard, but if you take a lot of niacin, it will raise your homocysteine. And so it's it's doing that because in order for the body to use niacin, to go down the NAD pathway, et cetera, it's going to eat up the methyl groups, the methyl pool, it's called. And nicotinamide riboside does the same thing. So I think it's important for people that are going to take any of these things, niacin, nicotinamide riboside, NMN, et cetera, that they should always take it with a methyl donor, which is sounds pretty fancy, but my favorite methyl donor is trimethylglycine, also called betaine. And you know, we're, there's plenty of data showing that tmg trimethylglycine or betaine can lower homocysteine and it does that by improving the overall level of methylation in the body so that's i think when when somebody says overload your cell, the question is how would it do that it could stress the body by this methyl depletion we all need methyl groups which is why we should eat folic acid and kale and all these healthy sources of methyl groups
1: Right. And it's a good reminder that, you know, uh, often too many people think if something is good for them, more is better. More of that particular supplement or whatever is going to be better for them. But that's not always the case at all.
0: Yep. Not at all. All right, folks. That's all the time we have this week. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Frank, so much for podcasting with me again.
1: And thank you, Bob. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered,
0: simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Research. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take
1: Five daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in And don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorn Podcast.